Well, hello. It's good to be with you here this evening. I'm probably not a familiar face to many of you. My name is Graham. Uh, Last month, I started here at 10th as the pastor of youth ministry. Uh, My job is going to be focused mainly on uh, across all of our sites and focusing with our site reps, uh, helping with all of our Creo youth ministries on Sundays, as well as helping our team get our Friday Creo programs off the ground as well. And on occasion, I'll get to share with you in this way today, assuming this one goes okay. Um, It's been a few months, pretty, pretty, pretty huge few months for my wife and I. Almost three months ago, we got married in southern Manitoba. Thank you, yes. Um, we, yeah, we got married in southern Manitoba where we were living. Two weeks after we got married, we moved out here to Vancouver. So as you might imagine, there's, prob- there's been a lot of uh, things that we've had to adjust to. Not only did we have to adjust living together, but we also had to combine homes. And with a move from the prairies to here, uh, if you've ever done that move, that means you have to downsize pretty uh, significantly as well. And since my wife is a bit more particular with interior design than I am, not a lot of stuff from my single life made the transition over. Um, You can clap for that too, I guess, yeah. One thing I did manage to save, though, is this comic that I have in a frame that hangs up in our bedroom. I think I have the comic here with us. So the first panel, it's a doctor and a patient with an arm and a leg missing, and the doctor says, before I reattach your limbs, I must warn you, in the next frame, this surgery will cost an arm and a leg. <laughs> the next frame, it kind of gets the joke, much like you, and then finally, what ends up happening is, uh, you had to pay for those other two, that... <laughs> arm and a leg with that kind of thing. But I actually told uh, Pastor Ashling this, this comic, I was going to start with this, and without realizing what she had said, she said, oh, that's a very disarming way to start. Um, she's a funnier one. But I would assume that for almost all of us, we haven't had the experience where we had to get actual surgery quite like to that degree. If you did, I hope it went better than that did. Maybe you've shared those same uh, emotions that man was making in some other ways. Maybe for you, you're in the middle of some transition at work or school, and there's some gaps you're seeing in your routines and processes that are pretty frustrating. Or maybe you're struggling with the rising cost of living, and you've, you had to force yourself to skip out on certain things that you used to enjoy. Or maybe there's some relationships in your life that for whatever reason, are fractured and you're in the middle of grieving the loss or, or struggling to make things right again. Whatever it might be for you, we're all dealing with an area of our lives where we might feel unfulfilled and there's still work to be done or we're short some, sort, some kind of metaphorical uh, arm and leg and we're desiring wholeness. So the past handful of weeks, we've been going through a series called Don't Forget to Remember. It's been said a few times over the series in a number of different ways, but the most important truths we live by are things that we've probably heard before, or we know they're right, we just, for whatever reason, don't act on them. There can be a lot of really exciting things that push us forward in life, but moving forward without the discipline of going back to the foundational truths about God, how he's been faithful to his people, the promises he's made, and how he loves us, we can end up feeling like my friend on that comic there and not experiencing the the fulfillment and wholeness that we expected. Our hope for this series is 
beyond just some simple reminders, but to call us deeper in the contentment Jesus offers. Specifically for today, we'll be focusing on how not forgetting to remember communion and how Jesus' presence and sacrifice motivates us to, lo- to lives of presence and sacrifice themselves. So as we get into this together, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for today, this, this, this wonderful uh, day that we've got to have. Thank you for all of us gathered here together. We get to be here and worship you. I pray that you give me the words to speak this, uh, this evening. And as, uh, we, as I share that, there's just reflection of who you are through all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the short time I've lived uh, here in Vancouver so far, one thing I have learned is that this city loves its art. Uh, living out in the West End, most evenings we take our dog for a walk, and we get the pleasure of walking past uh, this lovely group of men here. Um, those are fine, I guess. Um, a few weeks ago, my parents came to visit, and I had to try to explain these guys to them as well. Um, I still don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know how to explain. But a, another one close to our home is uh, this uh, thing as well. Fun fact, I was walking with my wife close to this thing a little while ago, and I asked her if, when I proposed, she doesn't like, she doesn't like being the center of attention, and I asked her if, if, uh, if I, she would have still said yes if I had proposed in front of that, and while she still did say yes, she did hesitate. Um, maybe these are familiar to you, maybe you love them, maybe you did propose in front of them, and I built resentment, that's fine. But one piece of art that I think a lot of us can recognize, even though it's not from this city, is The Last Supper, which you may be recognized here. This piece is done by famous Renaissance artist Leonardo da Vinci, depicting Jesus and his disciples taking part in a Jewish tradition called Passover. At the beginning of of the book of Exodus, through a man named Moses, God freed his people, the Israelites, who were slaves to the Egyptians through a series of miraculous acts. These works were done specifically to demonstrate his power to the king of Egypt, who refused to release them. The last of these brought death to every firstborn in the Egyptian household. To protect themselves, God instructed the slaves to to cover their doorposts of their homes with the blood of an animal, and as a sign that they were God's people under God's protection. And to do that, death would pass over them. This is where the name Passover comes from. So the slaves did what they were told, and when they were finally free, Moses said to them in Exodus, "'When you enter the land the Lord has promised you,' You will continue to observe the ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does the ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. The Passover meal consists of a lot of symbolic foods, including unleavened bread and wine. This, went on, this, this has gone on for hundreds of years, and still to this day, it's observed by the Jewish community, including this moment we see depicted in that painting by da Vinci. But this isn't just any Passover meal that he painted here. This scene is based off the events we read about in Matthew 26. For those of you who know the story, you know that this is the place where Jesus tells his disciples, and Judas specifically, that he'll betray him. Starting in verse 26, we read this. While they, were, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my covenant, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from, the fr- from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It was this moment with Jesus and the disciples that a Christian tradition, and one that we'll do today, was born. It goes under a few names, and depending on your church background, you might recognize one name for it more than the other. There's the Lord's Supper, there's the Eucharist, or how I grew up with it uh, being known as, as communion. For me, in the church I grew up in, and maybe you can relate, but on the first Sunday of the month, after the sermon was done, the pastor would get down, he'd read this passage that we're going to be talking about today, and two of our elders would go down the rows, passing out little cubes of bread and these little tiny glasses of juice, And I remember as a kid getting these elements for communion and understanding that they were important, but not totally grasping their significance. As a church, as as Ryan said earlier, we seek to be a place where, where people from all different backgrounds can discover Christ and being community of spiritual transformation that seeks justice for all. We come as sons and daughters of Christ to the table every Sunday, regardless of what we experienced in the past week and whatever the week to come looks like, and we remember the sacrifice Jesus made and what it means for us today. 1 Corinthians was a letter written by Paul, an early church leader, and he was writing to a church in the city of Corinth in Greece. Purpose of this letter was largely to identify the problems in the church, to offer solutions, and to teach the believers how to live for Christ despite the corrupt society that they were living in. And Paul spends a lot of time in this letter correcting things in the church that they may have lost their ways or forgotten the purpose of. And in chapter 11, we find that Paul needed to correct them on their practice of communion. And in typical Paul fashion, he starts out pretty blunt. In verse 17, But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you can have God's approval and will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing it with others. As a result, some go hungry while others, go, while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I will certainly not praise you for this. Commentators on this passage believe that a certain, certain members of the Corinthian church were not waiting for each other in order to communion together. Instead, some, probably the wealthier members, would go ahead before others and arrived and eating and drinking everything and leaving uh, others with very little to take part in or nothing at all. It would be like if, uh, if Ryan and I came early before unlocking the doors this evening and uh, came in and took all the bread and, that we were going to use for communion and made sandwiches for all of our friends and family um, before opening the doors to anybody. Or if like, we were, while we were singing together, you looked over and you saw Ryan and I with like, big tubs of popcorn. Like, not actually instead of popcorn, it's like the little cubes of bread we're just, we're just, we're just chowing down. 
The Corinthian church we read about here is one that forgot to remember the significance of Christ's presence and sacrifice. And rather than communion being a constant motivation to live life sacrificially and present with him and those around us, it just became another political and social song and dance. Paul goes on to remind them with the words we hear almost every week here at 10th. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. The word received or, or passed on was a sign that this wasn't his instruction, that this was, this was passed down from Jesus himself. It was like when I was at Bible college and I had a classmate, uh, maybe you had this too at whatever school you went to, where he really liked to argue with the professor. Maybe you experienced someone like that where uh, there was this one moment in class I remember where our professor made a statement, he just said a sentence, and our uh, this person shot his hand up and was like, is that actually right? Is that actually true? And my professor shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, I don't know. I'm just quoting Jesus. Um, if your Bible is, li- is like mine, you might notice that this passage, with this passage, some of the words are in red, showing that Paul is doing the same thing here. He's quoting directly from Jesus. Taking that, and it's taken from that passage, uh, taking this passage from Matthew, like we heard earlier. It's not something he maybe, like, he received a prophetic vision about. Maybe you've seen that meme online where, like, there's uh, this one thing here, if it shows up, uh, where the citation is, it once revealed to me in a dream. That's not what happened here. Uh, It wasn't something he maybe simply thinks that Jesus would have wanted. He's reminding them, not letting them forget to remember the words of Jesus. I don't have kids yet, but in the handful of years I've worked in full-time youth ministry, I've been reminded of the impact and influence those who work in that space have in the spiritual development of our next generation. It's often said that as a leader, you often create new versions of yourself. For those of us who are parents in the room, uh, or you've been placed in positions of authority or trust in your workplace or school or community, whether we realize it or not, what we do impacts those around us and influences them to act or think more like us. And while that might instill some fear in us or makes us feel like we're a little bit unworthy or that this influence is is ill-fitting to the type of people that we think we are, how great is the opportunity that it's Jesus, the head of the meal that we take part in each week, that leads us into the spaces that we lead. With Christ's presence within us, and because of the sacrifice he made on our own behalf, we can come to the table reminded that our lives are not our own. And through the words we receive from Jesus, we are motivated to live lives sacrificially and present to him and those around us. Paul quotes Jesus in verse 24 with this. It says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ told his disciples that the bread representing his body was for you, meaning for all of those who are members of this community. And there is some words, or sorry, there's just some irony in these words looking back at it now, potentially. 
While Jesus is promoting unity, we as a church globally, through our own brokenness, have created division regarding what exactly Jesus means by this. Some churches like ours would say that Jesus is speaking symbolically, while for others it would be more literal. The church, or at least the church Jesus calls us to be, isn't a soccer team. There isn't conditions we have to meet in order to belong. We're not cut if we miss practice or we don't perform well. A life centered on the person of Jesus, regardless of how spiritually or emotionally or physically or mentally broken they feel, belong at the table. Any behavior that would marginalize members of that community or treat them as lesser people is not the way of Jesus. Anytime we exclude, we forget that we ourselves are only included because of the presence and sacrifice of Jesus. Any response that isn't brimming with that same presence or that same sacrifice is not from him, but it comes from our own brokenness. As a follower of Jesus, whatever you believe about the bread and the wine, I hope, and and I hope you do too, I hope you believe that you know that there is room for you at the table today. Paul goes on, in the same way, meaning uh, it's also symbolized Christ's sacrifice. He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. This expression of do this in remembrance of me is similar to what was said about the bread. This theme of remembrance suggests that those who participate in the meal are to do so in recognition of its relationship to Christ's sacrifice. When we drink the cup, it signifies a washing away of the categories placed on us. The boundaries and labels we put on ourselves or those around us are removed, and in its place, a community is created. A community that, regardless of background or what you've done or what you believe about yourself or what's been done to you, is ultimately saved and made new by grace. For the Corinthians, and by extension for us, to truly celebrate the Lord's Supper, we can't forget to remember its celebration of Christ's presence and sacrifice, and in turn respond with presence and sacrifice to him and those around us. Finally, in verse 26, we see Paul's comments on Jesus' statement that in 26 it says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So earlier I showed you this painting of the Last Supper. It's a beautiful painting, and as, as nice as it might be, I actually wonder if I agree on its name. It might be accurate. If Jesus had this meal, he was taken to be crucified, and he died, and he was buried, and that was it. That was the end of the story. If that's how the story ended, the Last Supper would be an appropriate word for it. But that's not what happened. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. And every time we return to the table for another meal, we remember that Christ is present with us now. And because of his sacrifice, we're motivated to respond with presence and sacrifice of our own. This isn't the Last Supper. We're still waiting for the Last Supper. The one where we can recommit ourselves to be a community centered on the person and teachings of Jesus. 
He return, when he returns, the fruit of that presence and sacrifice, things like love and grace and unity will be on full display. Our last supper is still coming, and it will be beautiful. We'll be so in awe of what Jesus has invited us into, I actually don't think we're going to have time or want to paint it. Just like the table is inclusive to all who follow him, we'll see him return to the same people. Regardless of where they've been, what they've done, or what's been done to them. So in a moment, we're going to partake in communion together. I think there's a few groups of people in the room here that are worth addressing. There's those of you who, this has become a very familiar rhythm for your Sunday, whether you'll get your elements, you'll head back to your seats, you'll eat your bread, you'll drink the juice. And while you're aware of its significance and what you're participating in, maybe, some of it, maybe it's lost some of its luster to you. If that's you, when you get back to your seat, before you take part, just take a second. I wonder if we consider just for a moment what we're holding in our hands, and we think to ourselves, I get to do this. If it wasn't for Jesus and his presence and his sacrifice, we wouldn't have the hope freely available to us today. And maybe after we reflect on that part, we think we get to do this. Maybe think back to the week that you just had and think to, your, think to ourselves, where can the presence and sacrifice of Jesus be more reflective in my life? It's not just about saying you'll do better next time, although that's a great goal to have. But because of the presence and sacrifice of Jesus, we have the freedom to try again. Where can we be more motivated to reflect Jesus? There might be those of you who are keenly aware of the ways that you don't measure up. And you hesitate to get, for, to get up to even receive communion because uh, you know and you're reminded of how you've expressed your anger earlier this week or how you treated somebody or you're remembering the ways you were dishonest in order to get ahead of somebody else. And now you're sitting in church and you feel that guilt and that judgment pile on top of you and you feel unworthy. You're not even sure if you're allowed to even have a place at the table. If that's you, I hope that you are able to see that's exactly why we do communion. Like without acknowledging the ways we don't measure up, it's really, really hard to see the need for Jesus' sacrifice. You're welcomed here. There might be one more group of people here that don't actually know if they believe anything that was said or sung today. Maybe you're in the beginning stages of, of church or faith things and you're, you're simply observing or you're just dipping your toe in or you're only, only here because a friend or a family member forced you to be here, but you don't really personally believe any of this. When the invitation comes to get communion, a lot of us are going to get up and, and make our way to the front. And if you're not in a place spiritually where you think it's appropriate to participate I want to give you the permission to not have to pretend that you are. And I hope that all of us here can create a space for you that regardless of what you choose to do, you leave here today not feeling ostracized. In the time that people are getting up to get their elements, if you'd allow me to make a suggestion for those of you who might be in that space, I would maybe just put your palms out like this. It doesn't have to be where everybody can see. You might just like hide it like this if you want to. 
There's nothing magical about doing that. It's not, it, this isn't a trick to secretly make you a Christian or something. It's just a sign of openness. And in your hand, and in your head or out loud, ask God to reveal himself to you. And just be still in that. For me, I've rarely had any big, loud, flashy responses from God when making that ask like this. Sometimes it feels just as simple as a thought entering my brain that I wouldn't make on my own. Other times people experience something like a warm sensation somewhere in their body or they have a sense of peace and contentment that feels like it came out of nowhere. Or sometimes make that effort and nothing happens, which is also totally okay. God will reveal himself to us however and whenever he pleases. We also have people available afterwards, after the service to pray, for prayer if you want to explore that further. Regardless, when we, take, when we get up for communion and you don't feel like you're ready to get up, I'd invite you to take that step instead. It might not be the same way others might, but it will still include you in that effort of becoming sacrificial and present people. And what if, okay, what if this actually happened? Like, imagine if after our time together, we left this space and we were living lives that reflected the presence and sacrifice of Jesus that we experienced ourselves. Across our five sites here at 10th and online last week, we had roughly 2,000 people engaging with us last weekend. Imagine if each of those people found one person in their lives to make that effort and motivated those people to do it. And then we had 4,000 people to do it, uh, living presently and sacrificially, and then 8,000, and then 16,000. If I did the math, if I did the math right, it would only take nine days for our entire city to feel a great sense of who Jesus is. Three days after that, that kept going for three days, that would reach our entire province, and after another three days after that, it was spread across the entire country. That's the end of Labor Day weekend. Like, could you imagine? How could a city like Vancouver change with people, ex- with people experiencing things like the stress of extremely high cost of living, a growing number of people experiencing homelessness, being on the front lines of experiencing effects like climate change, like our friends at Kelowna are right now? What would happen if we view taking care of our planet as an expression of love? if we extended more grace to each other, if we focused on building a relationship rather than just looking after ourselves, wouldn't this city look a whole lot more like Jesus? And we don't actually need to go that far. There are plenty of opportunities right here at 10th. I've only been here for a little while in this short time. I've been blown away by the work of our 10th kids team each and every week or our ministries like Oasis Cafe and the work I've already seen happen within our youth ministry, Creo. The work that's done here through people living out the call and passion God has placed on them will legitimately change our world. And there is room for you to join the gifts with the gifts and abilities God has given you. Whenever we sacrificially give our time and resources for the purpose of following Jesus and are open to his presence, we live out the communion we take together. This isn't some wild fantasy or or far-off dream that we might imagine. This is a reality that through the presence and sacrifice of Jesus is more than possible. And it can start today as we take communion together. So I'm going to invite Ryan up and he'll lead us into this. Before, while we do do that, I'm going to pray for us.
Jesus, thank you again, once again for this, this time we get to have together. Thank you for everybody in this room. All right, I pray that as we, uh, as we move into this next part of our service, that we see your presence and our sacrifice through this. And that this will permeate through our entire week, through all that's to come. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.